So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Bible verse for this week with our young guys on Wednesday night, we have challenged them to memorize chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And we came up with the idea if we find, uh, we had them write them down on index cards. And if they leave an index card around with their name on it and we find it, everybody in the group can challenge them to five up-downs. Up-downs are where you jump down to the ground, do a push-up, and then jump up in the air as high as you can. You do that five times, but the problem is it's on call. So you might be enjoying your lunch in the cafeteria and one of our buddies say, hey, I need those five up-downs. You might be taking a test in math class and another buddy say, hey, I need those five up-downs. So far, no one's lost the index card. We have an idea of what Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says. Many of them are memorizing it. Let's read it together because this is where all of this application comes from. And I'm nervous when we get to a text like this where you see, hey, we need to put off all of this and put on all of this because the idea is you'll hear it and try to do it in your own strength. And that's not the motivation that you get from this text. Paul has spent two chapters talking about how you can put off and put on. And it's only through Christ. And so I want us to remember that as we dig into the text today. So verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Amen. Now, listen to the application. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any has any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. Thank you for your word. And we thank you for Jesus. Father, right now I pray that you open up our minds and open up our hearts for what you have, for what you are calling us to. I pray for conviction of sin. 
for a conviction to flee these things and put on the things you've called us to. Help us cling to Christ, keep our eyes and our minds and our hearts set on things above, not on earthly things. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So uh, this movie's been out for a long time. It's uh, a good war movie, Saving Private Ryan. Many of you have seen it. And in this movie, this company, this ranger company, Company C is going through looking for a man by the name of Private Ryan. His brothers have died, and the president doesn't want to send a letter home to mom saying all four of your sons died in this war, so they select this company to go find this soldier. But the problem is their translators keep on dying. In the Normandy invasion, they lost both of them, and so they need a translator. Someone who could speak French and Russian, or French and German. And that's where you see Colonel Upham. Now, he's at the table. He is what's called a technician. He's never fired his rifle. As a matter of fact, he's never seen combat. And Tom Hanks shows up and says, Hey, I heard you can speak fluid French and German. We need you. He says, Oh, yes, sir, yes, sir. I can speak fluid French. My German just has a slight accent. Not too bad. He's like, You're with us. Pack your stuff. Come on. And in it, you see that he goes back and he is nervous. He picks up his typewriter, he picks up his tools, he picks up this huge bag, and Tom Hanks helps him. He's like, you're not going to need that, and you're not going to need that. And he takes his bag and he tosses it off. He goes, you will need that, pointing to his helmet to put on, and he needs his gun. It's an amazing thing because it's so clearly evident that a new position requires a new dress. This new position required a change of outfits for this soldier. And isn't it interesting, he goes back and tries to bring the old stuff with him for the new mission, and Tom Hanks like, you don't need that. A lot of times, that's exactly how we operate in the church. We're dead to sin. The old self is gone. We're to put that off. But isn't it sometimes normal, we try to cling to that stuff that we should have put away. And we try to bring it along with us. And Jesus is saying is, nope, put that to death put on this that's what Paul is doing Paul is doing what Tom Hanks helped this soldier do hey leave that behind you're going to need this and this put this on that's what this text is all about now I don't know how far along we'll get to but today we will cover what we need to put to death and I thought it was interesting we're reading the text as Miss Lou is playing the piano the keyboard you have beautiful music and then the words on the screen put to death you see the contrast you see, you have to be careful. The Christian life is not an easy life. It's not a comfortable life. It is a battle. And if you're not fighting sin, it will consume you. It will keep you from what God has for you. And all of us in the room, youngest to the oldest, all of us are in the battle. If you're in Christ, you're in a battle. And the victory belongs to Jesus, and the call is to fight. So that's what we're going to look at. Now, real quick, we're going to review a few things that we see in Colossians. And so if you have your Bibles, go to Colossians chapter 1. This will be a, a quick review that we walked through. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. You may remember this from a few Sundays ago. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. 
That's what Paul's praying for this church. And if this church is going to live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, they're going to have to put to death some of these things. And they're going to have to put on some of these things that Paul mentions in our text. And the call hasn't changed. If we're going to live a life that brings honor to God, that we're going to please Him in every way, we've got to put to death sexual immorality. We've got to put to death anger and malice and rage and lying. And we got to put on compassion and gentleness and kindness. That's how you live a life that pleases God. Then you keep reading in Colossians 1, verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of, his, of the Son he loves. There's a transfer in kingdom. There's a new position. Just like the soldier went from a technician to a ranger company, that's a radical transfer. This is even more so. From the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son, whom God loves, Jesus. Kingdom of Satan, kingdom of Christ. And that transfer changes everything. This past Thursday, there was a football game. You may have been aware of it. Pretty cool uniforms on the field. It was a wide out. The Bengals had the white helmets with the black stripes. And the Dolphins wore this teal color. I like their uniforms too. It's easy to tell who's on whose team, isn't it? There wasn't much confusion. You had the teal team and then the white team with the black stripes. Thankfully, they won. But there was no doubt who was who on whose team. Did you know the same is true when it comes to which kingdom you belong to? It's easy to tell whose team you're on. And the characteristics help determine the team. If you belong to Christ, He's changing you from the inside out. And you're putting to death these things, and you're putting on these things. But if you're still in the kingdom, in the dominion of darkness, you're living it up on things you should have put to death. And you can't live out the things God's called you to. Because you haven't been made alive by God through Christ. And so that is decision time. Before you try to do all this stuff, make sure you've been transferred from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of Christ. And that's only through faith in Christ and what he's done on the cross. But we keep reading. Colossians 1, 27 and 28. Christ in you, the hope of glory, he is the one we proclaim admonishing, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Fully mature in Christ. Uh, football practice with our, our D-line. We got Quincy up here. Quincy, who's in front of our D-line drills? D-Mark, Quincy's up there. Josh Walker, you want to know what's normal about those guys? They've done our drills hundreds of times. The young guys, the freshmen, go to the back of the line. The reason why they're in back is not because we don't like them as much. It's because they need role models in front of them. They don't know what a read step is, or a rip step, or a come to ready step. They don't know our calls, strong in and strong out, hot light and heavy. They don't know these calls, but when they watch the guys in front of them, they're able to do it. Who are those leading by example in our church today? Who are the Redemption Church role models? Who's leading the way and setting the example in humility and compassion and kindness and patience and forgiving one another 
and loving one another. Who are those guys we can say, go to the front of the line so we can say, hey, copy this person's uh, attitude in our church on Sundays. Copy this person and how they love each other. That's what the text, so we can present everybody fully mature in Christ. That's the goal, growing in Christ-likeness. We want people to set the model for others to follow. So we keep reading. You get to Colossians 2, uh, I believe it's verse 6, where we get our, our next text, and it talks about how we are dead in Christ. So, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. And then later, in that same chapter, verse 13, we were dead in our sins. Right? No life. Dead in our sins. But God made us alive with Christ. God forgave us all our sins, canceled the debt that condemned us, has taken it away by nailing it to the cross, triumphed over them by the cross. Now, this is very, very important because it's not your effort that overcomes your sin. It's what Christ has done. And until we understand that this is gospel-driven effort, we won't do what Paul's called us to do here with putting to death this sin. Have you trusted Christ to pay for your sin? Not someone else's, but yours. Have you gained victory over your sin because of what Jesus has done for you? If you have, then you're invited to the fight. And then we keep reading Colossians 2.20 and 3.1, which we read this morning. Since you died with Christ, verse 20. And then Colossians 3.1, since then you have been raised with Christ. Paul's not leaving that idea. If you died with Christ, your life is hidden in him. Therefore, you're dead to the things that are against Christ. And if you're hidden in Christ, you're also brought to life, new life, new desires to walk with Christ, living out the things that bring him glory. And then the verse that we read today, setting your hearts on things above, setting your mind on things above. And then chapter 3, verse 3, for you have died and your life is now hidden in Christ. That's what you have to jump off to live out the text that we're going over today. I don't know if any of you guys have gone skydiving. I will not. I will never, ever go skydiving. But it's an option for some of you. What if you go through the whole thing, the training, and say, hey, the plane's going to get up to this height. When this light turns green, you need to walk out, clip here. And when you jump, you get to about this level, then you pull the cord on your chute. If that doesn't work, pull the secondary cord on your chute at this level. That's all, that's all you got to do, right? Pretty simple, right? Keep your hands out. Don't go to a free fall. Pull the cord. You get on the plane. You do everything exactly how the instructor told you. You get up. When the light turns green, you walk to the end of the plane. The light turns green. Boom, you jump out. And you go, and you go to pull the cord when you realize there's no parachute there. You don't even have to worry about going to the secondary pool because there's still no parachute there. It's the same way. When we get ready, we're going to jump out the plane, put to death all of this stuff, and put on all of this stuff. And you go to try to do this, but you've never put on Christ. It's like jumping out of a plane without a parachute. You have no hope of doing it. And so, yes, it took a little while to get through the intro today, but it's very, very important to understand. If you're not in Christ, don't try to live this out. You can't. 
The invitation to you is put your faith in Jesus. And then watch how he changes your life from the inside out. And then the call to those who are in Christ, let's get to battle. Let's get to fighting. Let's get to throwing this stuff off so we can run the race God's marked out for us. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's get to work. Verse 5. What are those things we need to put to death? What are these things that we need to put to death? And I think this is interesting right off the bat. Put to death. Julianne hates when there's a bug in our house, and she asked me to kill it. She says, I play with it. I try to put it in a cup. I try to throw it out. Sometimes I miss. 50% I miss. And then it's a race. Sometimes I catch it, sometimes I don't. And then we don't know where the spider went. Paul here is saying, don't play with this. Put it to death. Don't flirt with it. Don't play with it. Kill it. It's severe language. Because this is a deadly thing we're dealing with. So verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, real quick, what did Paul just tell us to think about? Set your minds to what? Things in heaven, things that are above, not on earthly things. So here's the cool part. If you're not thinking about this stuff, your life's not going to fall into this stuff. It's a battle for your mind. It's a battle for your heart. So let's kill this stuff. This earthly nature stuff. Number one, sexual immorality. Number two, impurity. Number three, lust. Number four, evil desires. And number five, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. John Owen once said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. There's a verse that says, throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. And here's the deal. I know in this church, sin is killing us. I know we deal with sin day in and day out, and it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. Different sins come and go. Different seasons of sin come and go. But I know this. You have an enemy that wants to destroy your life. He doesn't play games. He destroys people. He has a track record of destroying people's lives. And he does it through getting you to forget God and enticing you to love sin. And if you're not putting this to death, and, and I would say this, uh, Scott Pace put it this way, the first five are more dealing with sexual sin, the second five are dealing more with social sin. But I would argue one of these are going to hit all of us. And if one of these don't, there's something else that's earthly that's killing our church in North America, materialism, love of stuff. There's a huge divide between politics right now. It's an amazing thing how sin gets in the church. The call is to kill it. Let's focus on, on the first five. Sexual immorality. Um, Matthew 15, 19 says, For out of the heart come sexual immorality. In Mark 7, 21 for it's from within, out of a person's heart, that comes sexual immorality. Now, the question is, how can a heart that is set on things above, how can that heart also come sexual immorality? Do you see the divide? It's impossible for a heart that's set on things above to also flow from that heart sexual immorality. You'll either be one 
or the other. And if one of them has to go, what should go? Sexual immorality. That's why Paul is saying, hey, you've got to put this to death. That's not who you are. Your new identity is in Christ. So set your mind up where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Get your heart up there and watch how you leave this stuff behind. The answer to sexual immorality isn't, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. The answer to sexual immorality is, I want to see Jesus. Because eyes and minds and hearts set on Christ won't see sexual immorality. They'll be focused on the sun. Next, impurity. Romans 1.24. And all of these deal have a, a dealing with sexual nature. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Impurity, anything that's outside of God's will for our life. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 puts it this way. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Holiness. I had a friend come to me. He developed a relationship with uh, another girl over Facebook. And he goes, doesn't God want me to be happy? And, and I will say, I want to be careful because I, I don't want to make this division. God is definitely for your joy. He just knows exactly where to find your joy. Right? Psalm 1611 says, In the presence of God is the fullness of joy. So God's not robbing you of your joy. I would argue, yes, God wants you to be joyful. But what this guy was saying is there's this woman, and if I'm going to be happy, I have to be with her. That's impurity. That's something outside of the bounds God has set. He hasn't called you to be happy. He's called you to be holy. And what you'll find in your holiness and pursuing Christ, you'll find your joy. Next is lust. And I would think most of us know what this means. It's dealing with passions. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification, real quick, means you look more and more like Jesus. Sanctification, looking more and more like Jesus. That's God's will for our life. So you know that. You know, what does God want me to do? He wants you to look more and more like Jesus. He wants you to go after the things that Jesus went after. He wants you to be like Christ. Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. The Spirit dwells in His people. We're not controlled by our passions. We're controlled by the Spirit of God. So we put to death lust. Next, evil desires. Evil desires. And this is, uh, I'll give an example to help explain this. I want to provide for my family. That's a good desire, right? Now, it becomes an evil desire. I want to provide for my family, so I'm going to rob a bank. Evil desire. And I also want to be careful here. Sex is not a bad thing. But sex outside of what God has prescribed in the marriage relationship is an evil desire. Next is greed, and you're like, well, why in the world is greed in here with evil desire, lust, impurity, and sexual immorality? How does that fit? Well, greed is always wanting more or always wanting something that doesn't belong to you. And oftentimes, that's how sexual sin happens. It's saying that this object is more important than God at this time in my life. 
That's greed. That's idolatry. You have made that object more significant in your life than God. And so what is Paul's call here? Paul's call here is to put it to death. And maybe this is in your life. But your identity is in Christ. He nailed it to the cross. The condemnation he swallowed up on the cross. Every last drop of the wrath of God he swallowed up. You don't have to do this anymore. You can put it to death. Because Christ nailed it to the cross. I put a little warning here. And, and this comes from, I believe it's the sixth verse. It says, because of this, the wrath of God is coming. We could read through that quickly and pass on. But I want to say this. Never take lightly what God takes very seriously. And our world is taking sexual immorality very lightly. Give you uh, just a couple of things. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 6, uh, and 8 says, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 died. That's pretty severe. Judgment broke out. Or in Jude 1-7, and in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. God doesn't play with sexual sin. God doesn't play with sin. Just a couple of stats. Pornography is a booming business. Billions of dollars annually from the United States go to this. One guy, Frank Rich, did a research project on this. He says, porn is no longer a sideshow. It's the mainstream. So what's worse than this, though, is the idea that you don't have to blush at this anymore. You know, you used to have to do this in the shadows. You had to go to a store. It was embarrassing. But now it's at your fingertips. This is the sad reality. As the younger you go, the less of a deal this becomes. Here's just one little stat. When dealing with high school age students, only 55% say there's anything wrong with consuming pornography. Half. Not a big deal. And the number is growing. Not a big deal. You see, if we understood this right, the wrath of God is on this stuff and it's coming towards us. We would be very careful with what we let our eyes see. You know, I sat in front of mom on some movies, and there's some movies out there that I thought were hilarious until I watched it with my mom and dad. And I thought, I can't believe I'm watching this with my mom and dad. But, but you want to know what, what happens? Mom and dad's standard of holiness was higher than mine. And I should have been blushing at some of the things they said, hey, you don't need this. You probably don't need to laugh at this. Now, understand this. God's standard of holiness compared to my parents is infinite. That's our standard. We can't play with this stuff. Uh, We'll talk about wrath for a minute. We have an assistant coach, Jason Moore. He's a buddy. First year coaching, this is 2013, we go to a coach's clinic, Glazier Clinic up in Indianapolis. Well, you're stuck in rooms with coaches, right? Thankfully, I won paper, rock, scissors, I got a bed. Coach Neville's got a bed. Coach Moore got the aisle right in the middle of the two beds. We made sure he had blankets. But a couple of our coaches go out and 
They were staying up later that night. I, I just, I was tired. I wanted to go to bed. I go to bed about 1.30 a.m. They come rolling in, wake me up. Jason gets on the ground, takes my blanket, lays down. Ben's like, hey, hey, you want to get him back? So as Jason's brushing his teeth in the bathroom, Ben is setting his phone for an alarm every five minutes. So 135, 140, 145, so on. And as soon as we lay down, lights go off, we start going to sleep. The alarm goes off. Jason snoozes, stop it. Well, he doesn't know there's another alarm coming in five minutes. Now, Ben and I didn't think through this plan because every time the alarm went off, guess, all, guess who else stayed awake? Yeah. So eventually it got to about the third time and Jason goes, guys, you're making me angry. This is where he got the nickname the Hulk. Well, it goes off again and we know it's just going to keep coming until he looks at his alarm. He gets up. He takes my bed. Woo! Throws it up. I go into the wall down to the ground. I look back up and I see Coach Neville's over there hanging onto his bed and Jason's trying to throw him off. He finally gets our sheets and our covers and throws him into the shower. He goes, next time, I'll turn the water on. Right? We suffered the wrath of Coach Jason Moore. We were laughing. Not very scary. Well, when I was younger, sophomore year of high school, we had a sleepover for a birthday. All my boys are, are in the basement. We're playing different video games. And it's getting late. It's about 2 o'clock, and Dad comes to the door and says, Guys, it's that time. And we all understood what that meant. Right? It's time to be quiet, go to bed. But we thought, you know what? We could get one more game in. Something happens. A guy would yell, celebrate. Ah, God! Like, hey, man, hey, man, cut that there. We keep going. Big play happens. We go nuts. You hear the recliner. Ba-boom! And that was like a fired shot. We turn the TV off, the lights are off, we jump under the covers, and we act like we're asleep. Dad comes to the door and goes, there won't be a third time. That's all he had to say. You see, it's a little bit scarier facing the wrath of a father. Now, when we go to God, think about the wrath of an all-powerful, almighty, eternal God. That type of wrath is a terrifying thing. Now, this is, this is where I want you to see this. Those in Christ, we're not fearful of the wrath that is to come because it's been swallowed up on the cross. A helpful illustration that's helped me get this in my mind, pretend that there's this huge field and there's a fire coming through. And back here in this corner is this burnt spot. There's no more fire there. It's already been burnt up, but the fire's coming this way. You don't want to be in front of the fire. You want to be back here where it's already burnt up because there's nothing left to burn. You see, when Christ goes to the cross, he swallowed the cup of the Father's wrath on sin for you and for me and for all of those who hide in Christ. He nailed it to the cross. You see, when Jesus was on the cross... The wrath that was for you and me and my sin, paid for by Jesus on the cross. That's why he asked, let this cup pass from me. He wasn't afraid of the nails. He wasn't afraid of the beating and the spitting and all that. He knew that the wrath of the Father was coming. And he willingly lays his life down so that now there's no more condemnation for those in Christ. Now, why is that important? It's only those who have an idea about the wrath of the Father 
that will be gripped by the mercy of the Son. You see how merciful God is? That he would send his Son to consume all of the wrath so that now there's no condemnation for you and I. So how could we mess with these things anymore? With sexual immorality and impurity. Man, I want to pursue Jesus. I want to put those things to death. But Paul doesn't stop here. He keeps going. And here's another list. We'll start this with, uh, let's go with verse 7. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, right? The, the put off, put on. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on your new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the Creator. Now, real quick, that's an, another laundry list right there. Five things. I think, I think we understand this. Anger, rage, and malice. Anger is more of an attitude. Rage is more of an action. Malice is evil intentions. I, I do have a pretty good example of, of malice. Um, listen, it's family members, but it's not one of my four daughters. There were two sisters. And this sister was mad at her younger sister. And uh, she said, you know what? I'm not going to make a big deal of it right now, but I will remember she let a little malice get up into her heart. She set the alarm clock for 3 a.m. in the morning. The alarm clock goes off. She wakes up, walks to her sister's room, smacks her, walks back to her room, goes back to bed. And she said it worked. She felt much better after that. Can you imagine being that sister in bed wondering what in the world just happened? That's malice. And then you have the more verbal problems with sin. The filthy language, the slander, and later on you'll see do not lie about each other. You know, we can think of examples, but it, the problem comes when it's in here, in the body of believers. At the Bengals game Thursday night, uh, Tua, the quarterback for Miami, goes down and it's amazing to hear how people speak. It's amazing to hear some of the comments that are made at a sporting event. And filthy language, it, it, this right here in this context is it, talking about harsh and abusive speech. It's not talking about cuss words, but it's included. It's amazing how speech that flows from our hearts has gone down so much in our society. But you want to know what? I'm not surprised out there. You want to know when I'm surprised? In here. Those who know Jesus, who have been called to put that stuff to death. I'll give you a couple of examples in the church. There was one. <laughs> I love this guy. He's a Sunday school teacher. But he let anger and rage get the best of him. We had a high school student peeking into the girls' Sunday school class after ours was done. This was at a former church. It was up on the third floor. So he's up on the third floor. He's peeking in, and he's being a high school guy, flirting with the girls. But this was an old school Sunday school teacher that he just left. And he looks out, and he sees him making faces in there. Sunday school teacher grabs him by the hair and doesn't let go until he gets all the way down the steps. 
And he comes up to me and goes, hey, Ben, uh, you're going to need another Sunday school teacher next week. And I go, oh, man, what happened? He goes, well, I lost my cool. So-and-so was making faces, so I grabbed him and, and brought him downstairs. I'm like, well, that's not, that's not too bad. He goes, no, you don't understand. I grabbed him by the hair and brought him all the way down the steps. <laughs> I go, you made it from the top to the bottom and he still has hair? So I had to go have a conversation with Dad, and thankfully Dad was like, well, he gets what he deserves, right? But the problem was with the Sunday school teacher. The anger and the rage has no place in here. Then, uh, this, is, this is going back, man, it's, it's about 30 years. I had a friend whose dad was a pastor of a local church, and some things were changing in the church. Uh, they were reaching new people. People were losing their position, different seats, different newcomers were coming. And so most people would say that's a good thing. This church didn't like it. And they started a rumor about the pastor, how he's power hungry and, and he's taking all of the influence. And they called all the members that they knew they sided with and they called a surprise business meeting. And it was an amazing thing. This, my, my friend, this, this boy said, it was an amazing thing to hear all of these people in church badmouth his dad. And, of course, the vote was taken, and he was fired. And So he packed up his family and, and left, and he's doing fine, but the sons never come back to church. He's like, if that's how that place is going to be, that's, that's not for me. But you see, it's not surprising out there, but it's shocking when it's in here. And so this is my encouragement. With anger and rage and malice, Put that stuff to death. Slander, gossip, talking about people, killing someone else's character because you don't like them, they look different, they do things differently, kill that. Bad-mouthing people because it's not your style, nope, we're putting that to death. We're not going to lie about each other. And, and then I, I want to close with this last verse, and, and uh, we'll, we'll pick up what we're supposed to put on next week. But this last verse is a very powerful verse. Chapter 3, verse 11. Here there are no Gentiles or Jews, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now, you see, I don't think we have any barbarians in the room. I think that's pretty safe to assume. But I do know this, there's a lot of divides in the room. We got Democrats and Republicans. We've got elderly and we've got young. We've got wealthy and we've got poor. And there's divides all over the place. And right here, the uniting factor is that Christ is greater than our differences. But not only is Christ greater than our differences, he's also in each person in his body, the church. And so how dare we get angry and rage and talk about someone who belongs to Christ just like we belong to Christ Jesus is the head and we're all a part of the body let's treat each other accordingly and, and we'll leave you with this little illustration Tough Mudder a few years ago actually it was 10 years ago now 2012 Tough Mudder is the invite you, you can see it. that's not a picture of me however you might be able to see those little wires that delivers an electric shock to you You'd rather get a mouthful of mud than get shocked by those wires. 
And I can remember going through this. I've got blood on me. I'm sweating. I've got mud all over. The yellow shirt that I had was ruined. Done. Ripped, tattered. I couldn't get the mud out. I put it in a plastic bag. Now, if you've ever put dirty clothes in a plastic bag, you don't want to open it up the next day. But let's say I get home, cleaned off, fresh shower, and I'm looking for a shirt. And I know there's this yellow, bloody, sweaty, muddy shirt in this bag. And it's only a day old. There's not too much mold on it yet. Maybe a little mildewy, but it's not. And I get that shirt out, and I start to put that on. That would be nuts. Did you know many of us do that spiritually? We don't put that garbage back on. Sexual immorality, evil desires, lust, anger, rage, malice, lying. We, we, we put that to death. That's in the garbage bag, and we've taken it to the dump. It's gone. We're putting on a new shirt that only Jesus gives us. So here's my question to you. One, do you know Christ? If you don't, today's a good day to make that decision. Number two, are you fighting sin? And all of us in the room have sin to fight. None of us have arrived. And you won't arrive until you meet Jesus face to face or he returns for his church. Until then, we're all fighting. So we need to be confessing sin and forsaking sin. That's our only options. So the challenge today is put to death sin because that's not who you are. You're called by Christ. You've been made new. New desires follow him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for gathering us here this morning. Lord, I do pray that we're fighting sin. And Lord, I want us to, to kill and dig out the sin that entangles our hearts, entangles our minds, leads us away from you, help us throw it out. I pray that you give us brothers and sisters that will help us fight. And as we put it to death together, I pray that we are united in love for each other. Lord, I pray that everything that we do and everything that we say is glorifying to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.